I think at this point, most of the questions are, okay, what do I expect when an investigator comes in and starts auditing my facility? You know, what are they going to be looking at? What are some things that are really catching people up? Um, and, and I can only answer those questions based on what I've heard from, you know, webinars that I've attended or what I've seen from inspections that we've had at the NC State feed mill, um, mainly because I don't I don't go out and inspect facilities. I don't go out with the inspectors. So I don't I don't get to see that side of things. Um, but I think that's where a lot of the questions are coming from. Um, you know, you can sit through the PCQI class and you, know, you, you sit there and you, you know, check, check. We, we're doing all these things, but. Um, from the eyes of the inspector, what are they going to come in and what are they going to you know, really be honing in on? And for right now, I think that that's mainly you know, things like mycotoxins and um, housekeeping, pest control. And I will say that, you know, a facility that when you walk in and it looks nice, um, it has a, you know, you can tell that it's been swept recently and it, it just has, you know, this nice look to it. There's going to be a whole lot less questions about what you're doing when you know, there's a good first impression. A whole new era of communication in the feed mill industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds in the global feed mill industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a feed mill, to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Ivonic Animal Nutrition. We are sciencing the global food challenge. Welcome to the Feed Science Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting edge insights and all that's working in the global feed mill industry. Ivonic Animal Nutrition is committed to ensure food security and safety while reducing the ecological footprint of animal farming. Its products and services use evidence-based solutions that seek to promote animal welfare and reduce reliance on natural resources. All this is underpinned by long-standing industry partnerships and deep customer understanding. Ivonics focus on efficiency, sustainable, healthy nutrition, and collaborations with livestock farming partners creates value for customers and consumers. Welcome to the Feed Science Podcast Show for Wisenetics. I'm Adam Farenholz here at North Carolina State University. Today, my guest is a colleague here in our program, Marissa Cohen. Hello, neighbor. Hey, neighbor. I say neighbor because we are literally sitting in offices right next to each other. Uh, we had hoped to potentially do this in a recording studio here on campus, but we've got some... Uh, some nuts and bolts of that to figure out. But hey, perhaps sometime in the future, we will actually do some in-person of these where we're actually in a, in a studio with a guest. But for now, we're, we'll keep doing it this way. So Marissa is what we refer to here at NC State as an area specialized agent, uh, which means that she has a specific set of um, outcomes and goals related to a very specific topic uh, that she covers from the extension perspective, working uh, with stakeholders out in the state, but also nationally and in some cases internationally. And in her case, her title is the Area Specialized Agent for Animal Food Safety. So we'll be talking a little bit about what that means and what, what Marissa's roles are. But as with all of our guests, uh, Marissa, if you would, give the audience a bit of a, a background of um, kind of how you got to, to be where, where you're at today and then what some of your, uh, your day-to-day looks like as that area specialized agent for animal food safety. Sure. So I have like the weirdest path into feed milling ever. 
Um, so my name is Marissa Cohen. Um, I kind of got my start at NC State. Uh, I wanted to become a, a vet. Um, so I started with the zoology program here at State, and I did an undergraduate degree. Um, I got my bachelor's in zoology with a minor in wildlife science. Um, after my undergrad, I decided that I didn't really want to go to vet school, and I wanted to do something related to animals. So I started a, a master's degree in animal science, um, and I did a minor in nutrition where I got involved in the feed milling program. Um, another weird pathway into poultry science, I was working as a lab animal tech at the time. Um, so I took care of the birds that we housed here for research in the building. Um, so once I finished that degree, um, I decided that I really liked the feed milling side of things and decided to apply for the area specialized agent position. And um, I'm really glad that I did. I love my job. I love what I do. Um, I love the people that I work with, both at state and outside in the industry. Um, but what I'm doing now is I'm I'm really um, creating resources and helping the industry comply with uh, food safety regulations. And that's kind of morphed even um, from when I started this job almost, I think, seven years ago now, um, where I was solely focused on FISMA. Now I'm kind of branching out and I'm helping folks with things like um, BSE, BFDs, um, medicated feeds, you know, when, when they have questions about that kind of stuff. Um, most recently, I've kind of branched out even more, um, getting involved in helping some of those smaller folks that want to start a pet food business or start making pet treats, helping them with that registration process through the Department of Ag. Um, so my job as it was seven years ago is completely different today. Yeah, that's that's certainly a fact. And and as as someone who, you know, sat on sat on the committee um when we when we went through the process and, and ended up hiring the position and hiring you into the position, there was a lot of um I'd say a lot of question about what exactly this person would be doing. And and as you mentioned, you know, FISMA, the Food Safety Modernization Act had had basically been fully implemented at that point, but everybody was still learning how to comply. And it was, well, this will be kind of the, the FISMA position, but to, um, I'll I'll give, uh, Marissa some, some, um, some flowers here to, to her credit. While a number of the other folks that were hired into similar positions for, um, human food side and for, uh, produce also related to FISMA, uh, these positions were all kind of soft funded and, and time limited. Uh, and, and those other folks, uh, have moved on into other roles, some, some within state and some in other, other places as those industries came along. But with what Marissa just said about having, expanded the types of things that she has done, the industry and um, here in the state, the North Carolina Department of Agriculture have found her work so valuable to the industry that uh, we've been able to find ways between the, the industry and the university and the NCDA to keep that position fully, fully funded and keep her doing, doing that work. So um, that's uh, that's certainly a credit to, to the work that you've been doing. I guess I would ask um, from the perspective of kind of what you mentioned, some of the different things that you do, but let's get a little deeper into some of the details on kind of like a day to day when a, uh, a person, a stakeholder were, were to call and say, Hey, you know, we could, we could have some, some, 
we've got some questions or we've got some concerns or perhaps you've been that your info has been passed along by somebody. What does that conversation look like from the start? And what are the kind of things that you actually do to um, help them solve whatever their problem might be? And, and feel free to throw in stories, examples, that sort of thing. Our, our folks like like hearing about some of the fun stuff that actually happens in the real world. Yeah. Um, so the first thing is usually that initial conversation. You know, what do you what do you need help with? What is um, you know, how did you get my contact information? Was it you know, a regular came in and did an inspection and they're saying, yeah, you might need to contact this person at NC State um, or you know, did they find me a little more organically? Um, so once we have that initial conversation, it's, you know, I'd like to see your food safety plan um, if that's what you're struggling with. Um, but more than that, I want to come see your facility. And I get a little bit of pushback on that initially because they're like, no, I just want to send you my documents. Um, just review these. Tell me what I need to change. And then, you know, I'll throw it back on the shelf and it'll be done. Um, check that box. I, I like to see the facility mainly because, you know, it, it's kind of fun to get out. But also because I can't review a food safety plan and go through those processes without seeing what you're actually doing. Um, I know a lot of a lot of the food safety plans that I've reviewed, um, they, they tell a completely different story on paper than what I can walk into a facility and, and look at. So that's kind of where I like to start. Um, you know, sometimes I end up just reviewing those this paperwork and um, you know, send it back and don't hear from anybody ever again. But I really like to continue the relationship and I like to get out and see the facilities. Um, it helps me learn, too. Um, it gives me good examples to come back with. Um, I think my favorite story, I tell this at, during every one of our PCQI classes, and there have been times where I've reviewed food safety plans and they said, oh, yeah, my friend down the road that works for, you know, so-and-so company helped me out and you let me see their food safety plan. And I'm sitting here looking at a food safety plan for what should be an integrated, we'll throw out, you know, broiler facility. And um, they start talking about the food safety hazards in swine. And, you know, it's kind of like red flag. <laughs> Yeah, we we've uh, we've we've tried to talk a lot to folks about the uh, the fact that by all means use all the resources at your disposal. Oh, yeah. You know, you use the templates that are out there. You know somebody else that, and it doesn't honestly it doesn't even have to be fixed on the food safety plan, right? Quality assurance plan, preventive maintenance. I, I don't care if if you know where you can get another kind of backbone uh, skeleton of a program and and use that to your advantage as you create your own that's great but um cutting and pasting whole cloth is uh can can be a little a little dangerous in in that instance for sure yeah what would you say are the things that from um an animal food safety or maybe even just from a general like regulatory perspective that you still find um, you know a lot of folks or even the majority of folks um, may maybe struggling with, but that might be a little strong, you know, certainly having questions about, I think would be a way to potentially phrase that. I think at this point, most of the questions are, okay, what do I expect when an investigator comes in and starts auditing my facility? You know, what are they going to be looking at? What are some things that are really catching people up? Um, and, and I can only answer those questions based on what I've heard from, you know, webinars that I've attended or what I've seen from inspections that we've had at the NC State feed mill, um, mainly because I don't I don't go out and inspect facilities. I don't go out with the inspectors. So I don't I don't get to see that side of things. Um, but I think that's where a lot of the questions are coming from. Um, you know, you can sit through the PCQI class and you, know, you, you sit there and you, you know, check, check. We, we're doing all these things, but 
um, from the eyes of the inspector, what are they going to come in and what are they going to you know, really be honing in on? And for right now, I think that that's mainly you know, things like mycotoxins and um, housekeeping, pest control. And I will say that, you know, a facility that when you walk in and it looks nice, um, it has a, you know, you can tell that it's been swept recently and it, it just has, you know, this nice look to it. There's going to be a whole lot less questions about what you're doing when, you know, there's a good first impression. Absolutely. Yeah, that 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 first impression um, means a lot. And we talk again, you, you referred to the, the PCQI courses, so the preventive controls for qualified individual courses that, that we run here at state and that are run by a number of folks, um, other universities, organizations, um, individuals all throughout the country and then and some internationally as well to get people up to speed on, on what they need to be a, a, a preventive controls qualified individual for that animal food safety plan, um, which obviously most facilities facilities, we, well, we think should have in, in place and, and be familiar with at this point. Um, we talk about that a lot, right? We, we, you know, there are actually things in the CGMP now about they're not having grass and standing water and, you know, all that kind of stuff outside the facility in a way that looks unkempt. And it's, hey, um, they're going to notice that as soon as they drive up. And now it's in a, now it's in a training somewhere. So, I think uh, I think that's a that's a good point. What what would you say um, are some of the conversations you you have around folks? And and I know you've only um, you know compared to what a lot of our audience would be, um, kind of been highly exposed to the feed industry for what we could call a relatively short amount of time. Um, and here in North Carolina, we we've got some really good relationships with our, with our regulators. But what would you say some of the conversations are like about folks um, with folks when they talk about working with regulators, as far as those conversations and, and them being, you know, whether they are trending more towards something that are confrontational or, or are trending more towards something that are kind of combined learning experiences. I hear a lot of positive things, and I don't know if that's because I'm coming at it from from a positive attitude. Um, I, I tend to sing the praises of the folks that we have here because they they do mean well. They um, they have an approach where they want to be educating during and before and during the inspections, um, which I really appreciate because it it helps me make those connections with the industry if they're going out and educating and then saying, hey, connect with this person. Um, So a lot of the feedback that I get is very positive. Um, You know, we'll, we'll talk about individual inspectors even, and, you know, mainly the stories are, oh yeah, I know so-and-so they came in a couple years ago and did an inspection and, um, you know, not confrontational um, in nature for the most part. Yeah. I, I think that's something that there's, um, there's a history of that to, to some extent, or at least a believed history of that stories that have gotten passed down. It's like anything else. It's uh, the bad stories get passed down. The good stories kind of, they just fade into the, in, into the past because there's not nothing fun to talk about there. Right. So I think that's uh I think that's been a positive thing is there's been some growth in, in what that relationship has, has looked like. How about outside of, of 
FISMA specifically. Um, we mentioned, obviously, that's that's where your role came from and, and why you ended up at State. But outside of FISMA on other things, you know, kind of in the area related to animal food safety, um, you mentioned a few things there at the beginning, regulatory-wise, but others, um, you know, I'm sure you've had folks come and, and talk to you about, you know, what are some other things that I, I could be doing? Um, what is, you know, what are some things maybe that come to mind there that have been topics of interest that folks have had maybe even outside of, you know, review my food safety plan and, and fix it, please. I've started getting a lot more questions about medicated feeds. Um, and I, I think as that's kind of evolving to, you know, things that are going to be requiring VFDs um, and then just kind of weeding through that, the medicated feed rules. Um, you know, am I doing too much testing? Am I doing enough testing? Um, things like that. Um, we've got guidance documents that are coming down from FDA talking about carryover. Um, so it's, you know, is what I'm doing adequate or do I need to be doing something else? Because, it you know, they're saying sequencing, flushing and um, physical clean out. Do I have to be doing all of those things or is just, you know, is what I'm doing enough? <laughs> so a lot, a lot of questions like that. Um, and then I've actually gotten quite a few questions um, about people who want to put new products on the market getting started with that. Um, and that that's such a tricky thing because you have to go through that. Is there a definition? Um, is it a, a, an approved ingredient in some way, shape or form? Um, you know, have you registered with the State Department of Ag? Have you registered federally? You know, so there's this whole checklist that you can't even call a checklist because it's different for everybody. Sure. Sure. I, I know recently you've been doing some um, some things related to um, helping stakeholders in the state, but also just helping some of the the regulatory folks within the state on things like related to to pet food. Um, you want to talk a little bit about what that's maybe been like? That's actually been a real quite a learning curve for me as well, um, because with the FISMA um, role that I've served in for the last seven years, I haven't dealt with a whole lot of pet food folks on that like very small pet treat side, or I'm making you know this home pet food that I want to sell to my neighbors um, because they don't qualify for FISMA. Um, they don't have to comply. So very new area for me, but I noticed that it was definitely an area in in North Carolina, at least, where there was, um, there was a gap in our extension programs where nobody was really covering this area. They're selling their stuff at farmer's markets where we've got a lot of FCS agents. Um, so it's family and consumer services agents. Um, that are kind of running those farmers markets, but they weren't sure what the rules were for selling pet food. So we started off with an agent training. So um, extension agents that got to come in and hear the department of ag talk about um, what registration looks like. So there's facility registration and product registration. Um, And then we talked a little bit about animal food safety and um, reiterating that CBD is not a, and approved or hemp, um, neither one are approved for use in pet food or any animal foods foods right now. Um, and you know, having those conversations, giving them the point of contact, um, we decided after that that we needed to follow it up and and do a webinar series for the public, um, anybody who's used to or who wants to sell pet food. So um, that was a really successful series that we did, and and I've actually been in contact with a couple of the folks that were on those calls. Um, they're wanting to sell their pet food. One has been in contact with the university to talk about co-branding products. Um, so just a lot of success stories. And you know, I, I like getting out there as much as I can um, and 
creating useful programs, really. Yeah, it it seems, and it's especially true here in uh, in the southeast. Um, and obviously, you know, the the hopefully our audience is is throughout the country, and and you know we've got some international listeners as well. But for those that I guess wouldn't be familiar, you know, in the southeast, we're we're very obviously heavily dominated by large integrated operations um, here in North Carolina specifically. You know, it's it's a lot of of broiler. Uh, a lot of broiler facilities and, and also, you know, mills doing work for breeders and layers and things like that on the chicken side. We've got a, a large turkey um, uh, industry here in the state and a large swine industry here in the state. And we focus a lot on those really large, uh, large feed mills. And again, that's somewhat true through throughout the uh, throughout the southeast. But there's a lot of small facilities out there, even even in a state like ours, where the, the overall tonnage is dominated by these large facilities. There's still a lot of small independent facilities out there doing a, uh, a, a really good job at what they do, but they don't have access to some of the um, kind of corporate resource, share the load type of, type of thing. Uh, I, I know you've gotten the chance to work with a lot of smaller facilities. Uh, what, what are some of the things that are, you know, similar or I guess maybe even more interesting, the differences when you go and work with someone that's, you know, we have this one feed mill, we've got these 10 employees that work here. Some of them have been here for 40 years. Uh, what is, uh, what is that like compared to some of the, the more large scale operations? So the first thing that comes to mind is that generally those you know, five to 10 people that are working there are all related. Um, it's generally a family business. Um, it's, you know, mom and dad started the business and now, you know, all the children, the in-laws, the grandchildren, they're all involved. Um, so that, that's kind of a cool thing, too, that it becomes a family thing um, versus more of the corporate world where, you know, we get a lot of turnover. Um, so I'll, I'll work with folks on their food safety plans. And then a year later or two years later, I'll find out that they've moved on to a different company. Um, and I'm still working with that individual, but just at a different place. So um, those are kind of the, the differences in what I see. Um, but yeah, I really enjoy going into the, the smaller feed mills. Um, a lot of times it's like stepping back in time a bit. They don't have the high level automation. They don't have, um, generally most of them don't have pellet mills or anything like that. So, um, you know, it's just bringing ingredients in, um, and hopefully having a, a good quality program to go with that and, you know, sending feed out, whether it's, you know, in bags or, um, delivering it straight to the farms, um, of their customers. Yeah, I think I think it's an interesting dynamic. We and, and you and I have talked about it a number of times from the perspective of, you know, a, as things change, obviously on the large scale animal food or or sorry, food animal in this case, food animal production, we're going to have these very large facilities that are that are doing all the work and and you know, not knocking any of that, that's some of our our best stakeholders and folks we'd love to work with. Um but there's also, as as folks will see in the grocery store or anything else, people you know go into the farmers market, right? And I'm going to try to buy local. And I think we've seen quite a bit of that too, um, where our feed industry. There are a lot of folks that would like to go buy from that smaller local facility. They you know they don't they don't want pelleted feed. They want something that looks a little bit more. Um, unprocessed un- unprocessed good i was yep. going to use the word natural and i was really trying hard not to use the word natural <laughs> so good for you with unprocessed unprocessed is a good word um 
So yeah, it's something that's unprocessed, something that that looks more like, hey, I'm going to throw this out in the backyard and, and the, the chickens are going to really like it kind of thing. And, and I think there's some really interesting opportunities for, for those folks to, to do it. And I think what you just talked about there structure is is probably helpful for that because they build those relationships with customers that are pulling up to the dock kind of like the old days would have been. Once again, my uh, guest today is Marissa Cohen. Marissa is the area specialized agent for animal food safety here at NC State. Let's switch gears just a little bit and talk a little bit more about um, some of the other stuff that you're doing. So um, for uh, those who think that they've got a... Uh, a busy, a busy life. In addition to Marissa's uh, full-time job, Marissa's also a PhD candidate uh, here at NC State, hoping to finish up her, her doctorate soon. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of what that, um, let's talk a little bit about what you're actually doing. You don't have to go too far in depth because I'll start understanding what you're talking <laughs> about um, at some point, but also what that process has been like as far as, you know, being a, uh, uh, an employee and a student at the same time and, and kind of how that's been. Um, the first word that comes to mind is long. It's been a really <laughs> long process. Uh, I started this journey back in 2016 um, and I've just been kind of taking my time with it. And um, you know, the university pays for me to take classes because I'm an employee. So that's a, a really big perk. Um, so I can kind of do my research slowly and, and get everything done at it. Um, really a snail's pace, but, um, but it's because I, I'm working this full-time job that keeps me pretty busy. So um, my, I think my dissertation title is um, the use of technology in poultry education and research. Um, so I've, I've done quite a bit of research in um, using you know, enzymes in turkey diets, um, but we've also played around with AI um, as the, a management strategy for you know, growing those birds. So that's part of the dissertation and then uh, taking it in a completely related but opposite direction. Um, I've also been working it with ag and extension education topics um, to create feed mill tools for, you know, the, the classroom portion of the program um, that, you know, you and I have worked on those Delta grants um, and that's our distance education group on campus um, to create some really cool tools and then assessing those tools to see what the students um what their perception of them um, is and, you know, are they useful? Did they help you go through the class? Um, you know, did they build your confidence in your self-efficacy um, throughout that, that classroom portion? Would you say that there are um, any particular benefits to, you know, being a student while also like working a job at the university? Is there anything that actually comes to mind of like, no, this is the, while a lot of it is hard and a lot of it is, as you said, long and busy and, and wearing different hats and all that. Are there any, any benefits that you get that you think, yeah, well, other members of the, of the staff or faculty wouldn't, wouldn't get to do this kind of a thing because I'm a student? I, I mean, there's the obvious like learning component. So I, I get to take classes and I get to you know expand my education. So that part has been awesome. Um, you know, but I also get the work experience. So um, whereas a traditional graduate student comes in and, you know, they might be on a research assistantship or a teaching assistantship and they have to do that part of the work. Um, I have professional experience. I get to go meet with stakeholders on a fairly regular basis um, because it's my job too. Um, so I, I think that's probably the main benefit. 
Um, and it's actually one of the things that I love the most about my job is that, you know, I don't have to be loyal to one company while I'm doing my, my education, you know, because we, we do have people that come in here um, where their company will pay for them to come in and do a degree while they're working for them. Um, so I get to, I get to kind of get a, a taste of everything that's out there in the industry while I'm doing my graduate degree. And I would say, and, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but I, I think it'd be fair to say that in, in your, in your role, obviously you've got kind of your, your particular job description and things that you're supposed to do. But in addition to that, it, within your role, you've kind of fallen in love with the idea of extension and, and what extension oh, yeah. is about. And so I, I haven't on, on this particular podcast anyway, um, I have not explained to the audience like what extension means and, and what it is and, and where its value is and why it's fun to be in extension. So um, I can't think of anybody better to maybe explain that to the, to the group. So if you wouldn't mind, you know, what is extension and, and why do you like being such a part of it? I get that question a lot. Like every time somebody asks me what I do and who I work for, I'm, oh, I work for extension. And like, what in the world is extension? Um, which tells me that we need to do a better job explaining what extension is um, and that we're here. Um, so extension is, you know, based out of land grant institutions and NC State is one. Um, North Carolina A&T is our um, sister institution that also has an extension uh, mission. And what we do is we provide services to the citizens of North Carolina. Um, and it's so broad spectrum. I'm, I mean, we've got um, family and consumer services agents, agriculture agents that address things like horticulture, ornamental plants, um, animal ag. I mean, you name it, there is an extension agent for it. We've got area specialized agents like myself that um, serve regional um, in a regional capacity. So um, lucky me, I get the entire state of North Carolina, but a lot of people actually get to split it. (laughs) Um, So we've got four poultry agents that divide the state up. Um, We've got dairy agents that split the state. Um, So just we cover so many different topics. And what's great about extension is that a lot of the, the programs that are offered or the expertise that is available is free to the citizens of North Carolina. Um, So I, I think that's one of the, um, one of the pieces that people really miss out on. Um, in fact, I had a um, one of my husband's coworkers, his wife has chickens and you know, she was asking me about her chickens. And I said, well, we have an agent for that and they can come out to your house and help you for free. She was thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to take this thing to the vet. <laughs> and, you know, and, and so it, it was nice to be able to, to tell her that there was a service for that. Absolutely. So, the other thing I think that that's that's fun for a, a number of us, and, and it's certainly been something that that you know we've seen you really enjoy is the opportunity also working with Extension to get to go and be involved with programs that aren't even you know they're not yours they're they're you know we we just all kind of help each other out so um, turn this into some sort of like you know sports podcast here and make you start ranking things but. I was going to say like top five favorite extension events to, to work with. I won't quite put you on that spot, but um, what, what would you say are some of the, the things that, you know, even outside of your own, this is, you know, this is me doing my job. You mentioned, you know, we do our PCQI events and I've mentioned before on, on this podcast in the fall, um, we always have our feed production and maintenance school and our, and our feed short course that we do in conjunction with the Carolina Feed Industry Association. So we've got our programs, but what are some of the other ones that you just really enjoy being a part of just to be a part of and, and get out and see people? 
all of them really, um, or, or most of them, that is, um, you know, I've, I've been part of a lot of different programs. And I think it's because I like event uh, planning. I like being part of that. I like going out and, and volunteering. Um, so some of the ones that I really enjoy, um, Turkey Industry Days, um, I've been kind of part of that not program planning, but um, kind of the execution of the program um, for a while now. And I really enjoy working with that group. And a lot of it is, you know, it's the, the colleagues that you get to work with. Um, it, you know, it's getting to interact with the industry. But if you don't have that backbone of the program um, and people that you enjoy working with, then, you know, it's not as fun. So that that's why I keep going back. Um I enjoy working with some of our 4-H programs. And in fact, um, you know, when you volunteer for those types of programs, you'll um, you get started with talking to somebody who's got, you know, a creative bone and, you know, we develop more programs. So um, I started working with the 4-H program here in the poultry science department and um, they do a program called Poultry Science Summer Institute. Back in 2020, when we were all virtual, they couldn't get the kids on together. Um, they were doing a virtual program. And they thought, well, we usually do a feed mill tour. How in the world are we going to do a feed mill tour with 20 students and not be able to take them to the feed mill? Um, so we took our virtual tour that we made as part of one of those Delta grants that I was talking about. And we live, well, not live, we um, recorded it <laughs> and did a little bit of a voiceover so that they can take the tour on their own um, as a guided tour. And then we came up with an activity where the students actually got to bake chocolate chip cookies and we talked about the, how the process of baking is so similar to making feed. And we could kind of help them understand the importance of, you know, this is why we put all the ingredients in the bowl in this order. And this is why, um, you know, the, the baking and then the cooling step. Um, it's so similar to pelleting and cooling in a feed mill and why that's important. Yeah. Yeah. The, good mixing. <laughs> yeah. It, it good mixing, all, all that other good stuff. And, and the students have that, that have gotten to be a part of that have, have really, really in, enjoyed it. Um, so that, that I, those have been some, some really good opportunities. And, and I agree with you. Some of those, some of those extension things, it's a, there's, there's almost something to actually getting to go and do some of those different events and, and help out that aren't your own. And so you're, you, you know, there it's, it's just fun without the pressure. in in some cases I'm, I'm here to help. I'm here to, you know um, you know, there are there, you know, I, I sit here as a faculty member and when we go do stuff, like Turkey days being an example, I'm more than happy to, you know, be in a gopher and going and, and setting up audio visual stuff or having to go track this down or whatever, because it's it, when it's your course, it's a little more, okay, it's all on me and I've got to, you know, perform. So I think that is kind of the fun of it. Oh yeah, I love I love showing up and being like, all right, tell me what you want me to do. I don't want to have to make the decision. I don't want to have to come up with something. Just tell me what you need done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's fun to have that opportunity from time to time. Be be useful without being in charge. Um, speaking of speaking of that, I haven't talked about well, uh, Wilmer and I well, when we did a we we did a version of these together and and talked a little bit about. Um, kind of what it was like to be at a university. We, we talked a little bit about the, the joys of, of being faculty and working with students and teaching and all that. Um, but I haven't had a chance to ask really anybody else. And so I'll ask, I'll ask you, what do you think are kind of the, the, both the, the 
enjoyable parts and some of the difficult parts about, you know, working at a university, working in a, an academic department at a university that are different than maybe what we would expect if we were, um, you know, in the real world. So we definitely got some things that are, you know, really great. And while we're here and there's some things sometimes that you go, okay, yeah, this is, this is one of the things that I'm, you know, that I wish could be, could be different, could be better. So, and I think you and I have talked about this a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I imagine that if I were in industry um, and I had started out with a similar job you know, six or seven years ago, um, that there probably would have been some like defined, this is what you do. Um, I came into this job and nobody had it before me. So there was no set expectations on these are your duties. It was, all right, you need to um, create resources and train the industry. And however you do that is up to you. Um, so, you know, I think that was a really big advantage, um, being able to create the program and design it the way that I wanted it to be, um, the way that it fit into the existing program, like your program. Um, so, but it also, it was a little bit of a struggle because, you know, there was no, all right, well, did you check all these boxes? You know, at some points they were, okay, well, there's this box over here that you didn't know existed. Did you check that? (laughs) Um, but, you know, and that that's part of the reason that I love the job so much is because I got to design this program and have so much input into it. Um, so I, I have a lot of buy-in for my job. Um, there are also some frustrating things about working for the university <laughs> in general. <laughs> You're laughing because you know it's true, too. <laughs> you know, and, and you don't have to list them. It's okay. Uh, no, I won't. <laughs> we, we, but, we don't need a record of it, I, I suppose. I, you know, I go home and I, I talk to my husband who works for a, a corporation and he's like, well, we have that stuff too. I've got to jump through those hoops as well. Um, so, you know, but overall, I mean, I, I, like I said, I really enjoy what I do and getting to interact with people that I interact with and, um, you know, having a team that I can work with here on campus is, is really important to me. Yeah, I, I, we have a colleague here in the department that I, I've heard multiple times explain, um, being in charge, you know, whether it be a faculty member or someone like yourself, um, as a, as what we call a, a professional member of the department, um, it, when you've got a program to oversee it, it's effectively a lot like being an independent contractor uh, within an overall organization where it's, yeah, you know, okay, here's your office and here's some of the rules and here are some of the, the resources you'll, you'll have access to. But, you go figure it out from there. You go figure out what's important. You design your program. Um, and there's, like you said, that that's freeing and it's enjoyable and it gives you a lot of flexibility. It also, you sometimes feel like, yep, this is all on my shoulders, all on my head. And if it comes crashing down, they're just going to look at me and go, so it's your fault, right? So, you know, there's, it, that's kind of the plus and minus of it, I guess. It's time for our famous three. Well, I've enjoyed our conversation quite a bit. Um, a lot of these things, of course, are things that, that Marissa and I have talked about um, talked about a number of times and, and will continue to. Uh, but as we always finish our, our podcasts, uh, I've got a few questions that will hopefully help our audience um, do some kind of continuing education on their own, uh, find some, some things that maybe help them out uh, or give them a different perspective on, on things. So, 
the first one is, do you have a particular resource? Uh, and this could be a book or a, you know, a newsletter, periodical, website, set of websites. Um, it, it can kind of be anything you would choose, but a resource from kind of your area of expertise that you would say, hey, if, if you're in the industry and you had questions about something related to you know, animal food safety, regulation, quality control, this is a resource or a set of resources that everybody should have access to and that sh- they should be you know, learning about, reviewing regularly, that, that sort of thing. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to put a plug in for myself a little bit. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to you know deviate from everybody else's answer. I'm not going to say the FMT, um, any version of it. Um, although that's a very helpful resource, it's been covered already. So, um, I'm going to say, have y'all been to my website? <laughs> um, not my website, our website. Um, it's feeling no, you can call it yours. She does, she does all the work on it. So we can, we can go ahead and call it Marissa's. That's fine. It's feedmilling.ces.ncsu.edu, and any resource that I've found valuable, I try to plug in there. Um, anything that we're a part of, um, whether that's myself, um, Adam, or um, Dr. Michael Joseph, he's also in the program. Um, anything that you know we have found valuable or that we're a part of goes on that website. Um, the other resource that I'm going to you know talk about real quick is um, the, the CFR. And these handy dandy, you know, this one is like well used because I reference it so much. Um, anything to do with the the preventive controls for animal food rule is in that. Um, you know, got the the smaller versions, but um, it's also in the preventive controls for animal food um, FSPCA curriculum, and all of that is on the website. But I, I find those resources probably the most helpful because I can um, very quickly find the answer to most of the questions that I get. Yeah, I think I think those are are some excellent suggestions on the on the CFR side. Um, as Mercy just kind of held up the the little pocket version, which is an idea that we we stole from actually the the folks at FDA themselves because a lot of them would run around with it just so they could remember um, as we we're going through some of the developments of trainings and things like that. So, well, let's, let's just make sure we're getting the language right here before we, we build that into a curriculum or something like that. So, you know, it's, it's something that even the experts uh, like to keep around and um, you can also do that stuff online and there's other versions um, that cover things like medicated feed or BSE um, and, and knowing some of those regs are really good. Uh, the other part um, to build on Marissa's plug for the for the website there is we try for it to be as much of a clearinghouse uh, for updates and things that are relevant, especially on that that food safety side. Uh, there are a lot of um, uh, kind of newsletters or feeds that can be subscribed to through the FDA to let you know about, you know, when, when there's been a change or a new guidance document or a draft guidance or a compliance policy guide or something has been issued. Um, but depending on kind of what boxes you click on some of those things, it's, it can be a little bit of a noise. You're like, yep, there's another one that has nothing to do with me, but we try to create a space where the things that will have something to do with the feed industry will, will show up. So I think those are some really, really good examples. How about then the, and obviously, because you already referred to it, this is this is becoming a game that everybody is going to know. I have to title it or something. We're going to maybe I'll get some theme music or whatnot. <laughs> I'm I'm sure the producers as they're editing this going, we don't really no, please don't do that. Um, 
how about something outside maybe of the kind of the professional realm of, of particular food safety, feed milling, um, and it could relate even to something maybe that you've looked at in your ag education work or, or wherever, uh, something that's, hey, I think everybody should read this book or I think everybody should go watch this documentary or something like that that you think has, um, you know, had some sort of lasting impact on your professional development, your you know understanding of the social world around us, kind of, kind of your choice from that perspective. Marissa's thinking, I'm currently doing a full-time job and pursuing a PhD. Yeah. If you thought I've read anything other than things focused on those two things, um, I'm also a new mother. And so, like, yeah, I don't, most I don't of the sleep. stuff that I, yeah, I, I don't. Um, I, I get up in the middle of the night and, you know, I, I read blogs. <laughs> Okay, good blog. Like, they're they're for raising children though, not for uh, creating safe animal food. <laughs> I'm sure many of the audience have children yeah. as well. Yeah, um, I, I had my when you, when you prepped me for this, I had my my CFR. That was my my resource that I that I grabbed. Um, you know, I I really enjoy reading you know novels. You know, kind of more on the recreational side, but um, anything to do with like leadership and, and making yourself better. Um, emotional t- intelligence, um, you know, those types of books. Um, for the life of me, I can't think of a single title right now, but um, as I've gone through a couple leadership programs, there's been quite a few um, books that have been referenced in some of the talks that we've listened to and um, given to me and, and things that I've, I've tried to, um, I make it sound like it's one of the self-help books, but they're, um, they're really just... It, recognizing that the world around you is outside of your, the scope of what you um, are and, you know, making yourself, you know, a better person in the eyes of others. Absolutely. No. And, and I'm thinking about some of the stuff we teach in like the, the management class. And, and actually I think you touched on two things there that are, are interesting. One is, yeah, trying to stay away. That might not be quite fair, but some of the things that you might kind of consider the quote self-help things. Sometimes those things are a little, you know, they're, they're, they're sugar coated kind of, kind of candy for, Oh, you know, I know this new buzzword, but there's a lot of stuff out there that, that if you find the right, the right resources, um, you know, asking folks, reading book jackets, whatever of, of leadership type of things, it'll make you think about something in a different way. And, and I think that's, uh, that's an important part, like you said, to make yourself better is, is, you know, trying to get someone outside of the echo chamber and go read about stuff that we're like, Hmm, well, where, who's a leader that's in, that's doing something in a very different space than me that I, you know, maybe in, maybe and does some things that I wouldn't have considered. Maybe I should go read something they've written. Maybe it'll teach me something about myself. But the other thing you touched on, I think that is important from a management and we kind of tease you there about, you know, being, being a student and a new parent and a full-time job and all that. I, I think that one of the things that is uh, underrated to some extent is also finding that thing that hopefully still stimulates some degree of, of intellectualism, but that is that is outside of that, even that professional development, much less your professional topic. Finding novels that you like to read, um, finding podcasts that you like to listen to that are, you know, just just interesting and make you make you think, um, you know, th- certain things on, you know, TV and, and movies and whatnot that having having something that gives your brain something else to do will generally kind of free up and kind of 
help you think about what's actually, you know, something related to the job or something as well, because you're not just uh, kind of locked in all the time. And I think there's more, I think there's more valuable, more value in that than people, people think. So. Absolutely. And, you know, besides these podcasts, which I do listen to on my way to and from work, <laughs> um, it's like a 45 minute drive. So it's a perfect time slot. I do like true crime podcasts. So. <laughs> There you go. Yes. I, Marissa has realized that when I have, I think in the original intro made fun of like the true crime podcast that I was talking, talking about. It was targeted. Yeah. A little bit. Um, I, 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 my, my wife also um, has a few um, like morning radio show type of podcast that she likes to listen to as, as do I. Um, and so we, you know, we both listen to each other's it's funny because we both kind of listen. What are they talking about? Like, this is, why do you listen to this? And it's like, because I enjoy it and it, and it shuts my brain off from the other stuff and I get to learn something fun or, or, or whatnot or, or interesting to me. And I think, like I said, I think there's more value in that than, than people think. And it's similar to what we've learned about, you know, why you should actually take your vacation days, right? If you don't shut off, then you, you're not at your best the rest of the time. So, um, okay. Off soapbox. Um, last question then is in your experience and and you've obviously gotten to work with various folks out in the industry you've also spent quite a bit of time now around the uh, the academic world um, from being a student and working at various roles within um, a, a an academic department what would you say are those things that you see or or you can pick a specific thing that you see in the professionals that you look at and go yeah you know that's a that's a model i'd like to follow that's a, an attribute in somebody that i can see really contributes to their success yeah um the, the first kind of person that came to mind um is dr jesse grimes <laughs> um He's here at the university. He's our department extension leader, um, turkey specialist. So not even necessarily within my area of expertise, but um, very involved in extension. And he has this open door policy. Um, you know, he's very supportive of his um, his extension people, and you know that that's kind of the model that you know I I would like to um, strive to be close to. <laughs> um, you know, just very easygoing and you know, like I said, supportive. Um, also confidence. So even out in the industry, um, you know, having confidence in what you're doing and, you know, buy into your job. Um, you know, those are the, the types of things. Yeah. Th- again, I think those are, are excellent, excellent thoughts of, of, you know, someone who is, who is supportive and, and, you know, talking about Dr. Grimes specifically, you know, supportive, of, of his people. And that means both when, when someone comes into the door and, and needs support or is asking a question, he'll, he'll give the time and give the thought to it. Oh, but yes. that also means when that person needs something, if it's not being delivered in the way that it is supposed to from another office or another part, that he will go and advocate on, on yes. behalf, right? And so I think that advocacy and support is, is, is really good. And yeah, the confidence one is, is excellent. We hear a lot today about this idea of um, imposter syndrome and do I belong this and that. And you can really see that in the people that you, um, that you work with, that you go out and go, wow, they, they, they believe in themselves. They, they know they're good at what they do. And that really comes through as, okay, you know, that's someone I can, I can listen to what they say. I can follow, you know, kind of their, their lead on something because they, they seem very self-assured. That's a, that's a good one. I don't think we've gotten confidence before. So we'll add that to the, the attribute list that, that keeps growing. Okay. 
So thank you very much. Once again, my guest today has been Marissa Cohen, Area Specialized Agent for Animal Food Safety at NC State here in the Prestige Department of Poultry Science. Thank you, Marissa, for joining us. I've enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for having me. You bet. All right. For Wise Genetics, I'm Adam Farinolds here at NC State, and this has been the Feed Science Podcast. Thank you.